Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. Matthew 7, starting verse 7, uh, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The grass withers and the flower fades. All right, good morning. Um, I heard it was Jeremy was talking through the repetition of stuff, and kids, I'm going to get you in just a minute. Hang in there. Uh, but um, uh, as he was talking through that, I, I, one of the things that I heard this week was uh, tradition is resting in the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is resting in the dead faith of the living. Uh, I thought that was pretty good. Um, I have a picture to show you, just a second. We're welcoming a new mouth to the litter today. Scott and Kaylee Thornhill had, well, let me get his, uh, Theodore Andrew Thornhill. Yep, clap, clap, clap. Uh, <laughs> born at 9.15 this morning, which that was, uh, not this morning, sorry. I don't see what day that was. Was it yesterday? Okay. I couldn't. <laughs> Technology's lost on me, uh, and there's a picture of that little boy, and we're excited. Three days ago, he was born this last week at nine something in the morning, and uh, we're excited to welcome little Teddy uh, to uh, one day be running up and down these halls, well, hopefully not, uh, but running up and down some halls that we're in, uh, and uh, we're excited for them, so uh, Make sure to uh, pray for, reach out to Scott and Kaylee and be excited for another Thornhill to be running around. Uh, we're excited. All right, kids, as you're leaving, uh, I would like adults, because it's getting ready for Thanksgiving week, so it's getting ready for awkward conversations anyway, take like two minutes and get up and say hi to somebody next to you, welcome somebody that's new, uh, greet one another with a holy kiss, however you want to go about doing this.
All right. All right. Calm yourselves down. Come back, come back. Nobody's even listening. I do. It's my fault. All right. You guys remember this? Anybody remember that? Anybody else have to do that as a kid? Oh, the clap? Did you have? All right. It doesn't work. Nothing's working. All right, calm down, you wild and ravenous people. Uh, all right, um, we're going to be we're, we're we're we've moved into chapter seven uh, this week of the Sermon on the Mount, and after this week, we're going to take a break. And as Kayla said, uh, next week is the share service. Although I do want to tell you that Kayla gave insider information. So if anybody that accuses us of having like a back room, yes, we did this a long time ago, so that nobody'd have to prepare a sermon uh, during Thanksgiving week. But we still like for people to come up and share and hear from everybody. So, um, but uh, the motive was supposed to be kept on the down low, but I guess now the fine print is out in public. Um, <clears throat> all right, in uh, 1902, uh, there was a short story. It was a horse story that appeared in Harper's Monthly. It was written by a guy named W.W. Jacobs called The Monkey's Paw. Anybody ever read that? Have to read that like middle school? Surely it was middle school. It wasn't elementary, right? Um, the Monkey's Paw, it's been parodied uh, quite a bit um, in, in different realms, uh, but basically what it is, is a story of, of, of a family. Mr. and Mrs. White uh, live with their oldest son, Herbert, and they have a friend who's like a, a general in the British Army, and he comes over for dinner one night, and he happened upon, when he was, on, uh, when he was assigned to be in India, he happened upon this Monkey's Paw, and I don't remember exactly how he... He found it, but this monkey's paw had a, a curse on it where it would grant wishes. But what he had found in his, in his experience with the monkey's paw, as he shared, was that every wish came with like devilish, horrible, wicked consequences. It was twisted. And so he just got angry and he threw the monkey's paw into the fire. And I'm going to give this away, by the way. So if you've been waiting since 1902 to, to hear the end of this... Uh, it's not my fault. Uh, and the kid sees dead people at the end of, well, we just ruin them all. All right. While we're at it, uh, at the end of, uh, yeah. Jack dies at the end of Titanic. Anyway. Um, all right. Anyway. So he throws the, monkey, he throws the monkey's paw into the, uh, into the fire. And, and Mr. White is just curious and skeptical, so he can't help himself but grab the monkey's paw out. And he and his son get into a discussion about the reality of curses and if this is real and surely this doesn't really happen. And, and Mr. White is actually pretty content with what he has. He doesn't feel the need to, to wish for more. But his son kind of convinces him, you know, let's try this. Ask for something. And so he's, all right, all right. Uh, we'll ask for the last payment of our mortgage payment to pay off the house, 200 pounds. Uh, let's, we'll, we'll ask for that. And when he asks, when he makes that wish, he feels the hand move and then throws it down. The next day, in the evening, an employer, an employee from the factory where Herbert, the oldest son, where he worked, came to share with the family that that day a horrific and brutal accident had taken place. 
uh, and that Herbert was killed at work, and it was, it was, uh, it was a gruesome scene. Um, and though the company was not responsible for this, they wanted to compensate the family, the grieving family, uh, for the death of their son with a, a gift in the amount of 200 pounds. And so the family is absolutely distraught. And the dad, uh, Mr. White, wants to, to get rid of the monkey's paw, but they, they grieve for days. And finally, overwhelmed with grief, Mrs. White grabs the monkey's paw and says, please give me my son back. And Mr. White is like, no, 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 this is a bad idea. Because he knows the way that this works is not that the son is going to come back healthy and whole. He knows there will be something that happens here that is wicked and evil. And they hear a knock at the door. And as Mrs. White goes to answer the door, Mr. White uses his last wish with the monkey's paw. And she opens the door, and there's nobody there. Mr. White had wished to undo, basically, the wish of his wife. In this story, we get a picture of, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff, right? Uh, be careful what you ask for. Um, the danger of greed when you feel contentment and you want just a little bit more. But also we get a concept of a, of a twisted and wicked kind of grantor of wishes. And it's perhaps appropriate as we read these passages uh, about God and the character of God when we talk about asking and seeking and knocking. So as we get into the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, what we start to see in chapter 7, we're actually going to take a break after this week from the Sermon on the Mount. We'll get back to it and finish up chapter 7 next year. What we see in chapter 7, this, this is not like chapters 5 and 6. There was a continuous flow. Uh, what we see is these are probably kind of a collection of Jesus' teachings that Matthew has brought together, and he's, he's kind of finished the thought, and he's like, oh, and here's some other things that Jesus taught. Not less important, but probably gathered. They don't necessarily flow from one to the other, uh, like the previous two chapters do. Um, and so uh, what, to, what it is going to give us overall is the character of God, a picture of the character of God that Jesus is revealing. Uh, and I think when we see the character of God, that's going to reveal some things in us, to us, about us, that we also have to be aware of when we approach God. So let's jump in. Uh, verse 7, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened unto you. There are, uh, there are a number of books that are uh, from the Hebrew scripture, from the Old Testament, there's a number of books that are quoted often in the New Testament. Does anybody know what the most often quoted Old Testament book is in the New Testament? All right, Psalms. Far and away, Psalms. Isaiah's second. Isaiah's the most quoted prophet. But Psalms are far and away. Uh, Psalms is a book of prayer. A few years ago in the summertime, we went through um, the Songs of Ascent, 15 Psalms, uh, Psalm 120 through 134. These Psalms were memorized prayers that the people of God would pray every year as they ascended the hill toward Jerusalem to go to the temple for the feasts and festivals. They would have these prayers memorized, and they would go through them. Israel was a praying people. When Jesus talks to them, they, they had, and we talked about this before, 
they would pray three times a day, often praying psalms or often praying various written scripted things. Jesus never corrects them on praying liturgical prayers. He corrects them on the motive, like if you're just doing this so that other people will see you. But make no mistake, Israel was a praying people. There's a lot of different types of prayers that we see in in Scripture. There's uh, prayers of praise to God. Um, Intercession, which intercession is praying on behalf of other people, going to God on their behalf. There's prayers of confession, bringing our junk before God. Um, There's imprecatory prayers, which is asking God to judge others (laughs) rather harshly. Now, I don't necessarily commend those to you. However, notice that it is asking God to bring down uh, judgment. It is not carrying out the judgment, so it is going to God with our stuff, trusting that God will, will judge accordingly. But there are some imprecatory psalms. You read through them and you're like, I can't believe David wrote this, and it's in the Bible. Um, there are prayers that will be coming up this week, prayers of thanksgiving. Prayers of gratitude. There's prayers of lament, expressing our grief and our angst and sometimes even our anger before God. And here, Jesus frames this using Hebrew uh, wisdom literature to talk about this prayer of petition or supplication. It's asking God for stuff, asking God for what we need, and sometimes even asking God for what we want, bringing our needs before him. And he says quite simply, ask, seek, knock. Now, people that are far more clever than I have noticed that ask, seek, and knock when it forms a, an acrostic is what? Ask. Has anybody ever seen this? No, was anybody taught this? I was like, I'd never th- thought about that before. I was like, that's really neat. I, was always, I always memorized this verse as, uh, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened unto you, Luke 11, 9. That's the, where it's also found. All right. Harder to do when you're preaching out of Matthew because um, it doesn't rhyme. Uh, now, that said, ask, seek, and knock in Hebrew would actually be ask, a Z-K, which is not a word, so it doesn't work. But it's still kind of a cool thing, right? Pray. Ask. The invite is there. But there's lots of temptations that are mixed up with, with this. God's just telling us to ask? All right, what does that mean? Is this like a magic genie? Just rub the lamp and then, you know, do we get three wishes? Or is it like the monkey's paw? Is God like this cosmic killjoy? Is this a Christmas wish list? Flip through the J.C. Penny catalog and like, all right, God, here's what I, here's what I need right now. Uh, could, can we possibly pull this verse out of context? Not that we would ever do that, to just kind of use it as God being kind of the fairy godmother in the sky who, who uh, gives us what we want or who we want to blame when, when things don't go the way we think they should. We're going to get here in just a second, but I want you to know that these verses, this is, these verses are not a guarantee. Um, it is an invitation to ask. And listen, I see and hear preachers and memes and stuff doing this all the time. And I despise it, but it works, and sometimes we love it when we use guilt and shame, especially when it comes to prayer or reading the Bible, and we try to shame people into doing it, right? 
How many of you have ever seen something or heard something like, you got time to be on the internet, you got time to pray? Is anybody, uh, seen that sentiment or felt that sentiment? And then we're like, amen, preacher, it's a good word, I'm going to repost that. Irony of ironies. <laughs> Listen, I refuse to shame us into praying more. It's effective for a time, but then it starts to distort our view of who God is. And honestly, when we start praying to avoid shame from other people, we're doing it for the approval of other people, and as Jesus has just said, there's your reward. Now you get to repost it. Well done. And I know this is confusing the defense now. What is it? It's a, this is a penalty you can't clap in football. All right. Sorry. I get easily distracted. <clears throat> what Jesus does is he gives a beautiful and compelling vision. Ask. Why? Because God is good. Bring your needs. Don't worry, the, don't worry necessarily about the format. Don't worry about how correct in all this it is or how long and loud your prayer is because we don't have a God that gives you more if you ask longer and louder and more eloquent words. He already knows what you need. So bring your stuff to your good and loving Father. We're going to get to that last part in just a second, but first let's do some reflections on ourselves here in the next couple verses. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. I, uh, I have coffee with a lot of people, and I love it. I, I love coffee, but I also like sitting down with other people. It is, it's part of my job, so if, if you're ever like, well, I don't want to ask you to go to coffee. I know you're busy. That, that's, that's what I do. I mean, a little more, but I, very little more, but that's what I do. Um, sometimes stronger beverages. If you, if, if you need to sit down and talk, man, it is a thrill to my soul when I actually have words of comfort or encouragement to give or maybe even experience or sometimes even just a pinch or a dash of wisdom as we navigate faith in Jesus in this world and the disappointment of this world. And I love this, but nowhere does this get pressed more than someone who is struggling and who sees this verse or the concept of this verse and is basically like, I tried that and it didn't work. And listen, I, I have, I'm going to give you some internal processes that go on. I don't ever say this out loud. Well, there was one time. Uh, it didn't go well. I have two competing negative thoughts that go on inside me at this moment, even when it's me, even it's when I'm the one that's complaining. Or, or, or expressing this lament or grief. Uh, the first is skepticism or cynicism toward the person, right? Oh, you tried everything? Did you? How hard did you try? Uh, again, this is internal. I don't actually say that to people. Um, notice how easily my brain goes back to that this is the way God works. If you try hard, you get and we're told that this is, not how, this is not how the God of Scripture works. And, and this is how the other gods worked. But this is not how the God of Scripture works. So my internal cynicism gets shot down pretty quickly. The other thought 
is kind of more cynicism toward God, right? It figures. Figures. Yeah, I've tried it too. Um, and in moments like these, listen, I know that A plus B doesn't equal C, but man, when someone's faith is on the line, when we're asking for miracles that are genuinely good, when it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, just answer this. Come on, God. And especially when the wicked are prospering, when those who don't care are getting ahead, when the ones who are standing in front and manipulating God's name and using guilt and shame, heaping that on people, cheating the system to get ahead while the faithful sit and wonder if God actually hears them. And I get angry. All right. I know that got dark pretty quick. <laughs> uh, here's the deal. If you've been here very long, if, you should know this, and maybe you don't. Um, I, this is my personality, okay? So just so you know, let this be an encouragement to your faith and not an ongoing frustration. I go to the worst case scenario and then work my way back. Okay? So I go dark, and then I'm like, but it can't get darker from here. It can only get brighter from here. All right? That's my personality. Some of you are like, well, I can't wait to hear this and be like, yeah! There's lots of good churches for that. <laughs> it's not my, like, I can't. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. It's just not the way my brain works. And if it frustrates you, it frust believe me, I've, it frustrates me a lot more. Okay? And then my wife who has to live with this. But it's, it's turned on at all times. All right? Um, and please know, like, this, is, this is just how my brains work. And, and brain, I only have one. And, it, and, uh, and here's the thing. I get so frustrated when people trade in a good and loving and generous God for a, just a cheap, shoddy, unexamined belief that has more Disney princess and cat memes than reality in it. And it's just hard. And I see people do that. We are invited by Jesus to bring our petitions, our needs before God, and we're told that God answers. It's not always the way we want. And when we bring this to specific context, it's so important to understand and remember, Jesus is talking to his disciples here. So they are a, a group of people that are going to need to hear that God is good and that he answers their prayers over and over and over again. But he does not always answer his disciples' prayer in the way that they want. And in fact, Jesus himself, in the prayer of Gethsemane, asks that God would remove this cup from him. And God does not answer Jesus in the way that he asks. This is, not a, this is not a marked guarantee. Uh, this past week uh, in, in the news, um, women's soccer star Megan Rapinoe, she tore her Achilles tendon in the championship game, uh, which was also the last game of her career. And she tore it early on in the game. And afterward, she made a comment that sparked it's a bit of internet reaction. Uh, when she said, I'm not a religious person, but if there, was, uh, if there is a God, then this is proof that there isn't. 
All right. Everybody calm down. I mean, maybe you're, you're like, eh, whatever. Listen, we do the same... We do the same thing with, we do the same thing when God wants our team to win the championship, right? And the proof of God's existence is the fact that Mizzou pulled out a win yesterday, right? Uh, we, do this, we do the same thing. And nobody gets all uptight about it. Ah, maybe we do. Um, I think she was joking. She was obviously hurt and angry. And I'm not, I don't think she was joking about her belief, but I, she was obviously hurt and frustrated. Um, but the sentiment is not uncommon, right? I don't believe in God and I'm mad at him. There are a few things to consider as we, as we look at this. Like, and just people may point to this and go, see, there's the answer. He says, ask and you'll get, and you don't. There's a few things to consider here. I mean, such as our cultural narcissism, which is on full display. I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Almost every culture in history has expected things to go poorly. They expected a very hard life. And then when something actually went well, people were relatively surprised and happy. We live in a world that's the exact opposite. We demand that life meet our every expectation. And then God is the culprit when it doesn't. And we have more materially than, even, even in poverty, we have more materially than any generation in history. And we're pretty consistently disappointed. Another aspect of this is that N.T. Wright suggests, for the most part, he says this, for most of us, the problem is not that we're too eager to ask for the wrong things. The problem is that we're not eager enough to ask for the right things. James gives us a little insight, a little commentary on Matthew 7 here. In James 4, he says, You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet, cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you, do not, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people. I can't read that last line without Jack Nicholson voice and a few good men. All you did was weaken a country today. But here's the promise in James, James chapter 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. God promises to back wisdom up by the truckload and dump it out on us. But how often do we ask for wisdom? Listen, these verses can give good commentary they're helpful insight on Matthew 7. They're not unimportant at all. They're very important, and I think they are applicable a lot of the time. But still, they don't necessarily give all the answers. They don't completely fill in the blanks. They're still hard things, good things that we ask for. So what I usually get to, what actually comes out of my mouth when I'm sitting down with somebody for coffee who is struggling to understand this, is, I'm sorry. I know these thoughts well. I have them. I struggle them. struggle with them. There's a lot of times that I wish God worked the way that I wanted him to work. But I'm also, there's a lot of times when I'm really glad that God does not work the way that I want him to work. Listen, 
I don't know why God does things the way that he does. And the, the pat answers on that, I'm like, thanks. I don't know why some prayers go answered and some don't, or the way that we want. But there's two things that I fall on. First thing, Jesus has invited us to ask every time, maybe even commanded. Ask. Ask. My kids have never hesitated to ask. Ask. We're invited to come with it to him with anything at any time, and I fully believe this. And then the second thing is, I believe that he is good. And that changes a lot. Verse 9, we see the character of God. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if, his son asks for, if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, <laughs> that, yeah, know how to give good, good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? Uh, referring back again to my pastor in seminary, he used to say that God is your heavenly Father, he's not your heavenly grandfather. Several years ago, we lived with my parents, and we were getting ready to move into our current house. We lived with my parents for like a, over a month. It was like a month and a half. And we had three small kids, I think, at the time. My mom, my mom used to line our kids up like little birds and give them shots of whipped cream <laughs> and then send them home. And I, I laugh, yeah, when we lived there, though, I said, if you do that, and they come downstairs and they're crazy, we're sending them right back up. <laughs> a father, God does not just load us up with sugar and ice cream and send us on our merry way. A father and mother, okay, God is the fullness of, of both. They have to discipline. They have to correct, comfort, guide. A parent has to say no. Like, a lot. A lot. That's part of the job. And if you're like, well, no, a parent shouldn't have to say no. We, a parent who lets their kid run out into a busy street because they don't ever want to say no, that's not a good parent. That's neglect. That's criminal. God doesn't always give us what we want. I have a wonderful father. Growing up, he was very generous but he would never just give me anything I asked for. My wife would probably contend with that. But he gave me what I needed. God invites us to ask him anything. We might be skeptical, we might be cynical, sometimes we might get discouraged when things don't turn out the way we want, even good things. And listen, I know that can be discouraging and I don't wanna keep hammering on that, but I wanna bring it to the table because it's, it's real. Sometimes we may wonder like, does, does prayer even matter? If God already knows what we need. Does it really even matter? But listen, if we believe this last part, if we believe that God is good and that he is Father, then we can handle the other questions. If we hold to this belief that he is a good and loving Father, then we can handle the other stuff. Things may still go unanswered, but we know what that's like. 
if we do know and understand that he loves and cares for his children, that we believe that he hears us when we pray. That's significant. And it makes a huge difference on how we approach God. Last week, we stepped back to look at the overall picture of who God is. We, we did this run through. If, if Jesus reveals to us who God is, then the Sermon on the Mount is going to give us a beautiful picture of the attributes of God, right? And who he is, what he's like. And if we see him as a distant, cold puppet master, indifferent to our sufferings, just this capricious, emotionally removed rule giver, then you need to know that is not the God revealed in Scripture. That is a God that you have come up with. That is not what's revealed in Scripture. We have a concept of what a loving parent should be. And if you, not everyone has great parents. Not everyone has great fathers. But the reason we know what a good father, what a good parent should be, is not because somehow we've imagined it and then projected it on God. It's because God revealed to us, actually through his word, this is what a good father does. This is what a good father looks like. So when we see a good and loving interaction between a parent and a child, even if it's like in a correction, we're getting even just a glimpse into a good and loving heavenly father and the way that he loves his children. And how do we know that we are his children? Paul says in Galatians 4, essentially, when you put your trust in Christ, the Spirit of God enters our hearts and to make us able to cry out, Abba, Father. So that we're no longer slaves to rules, but that we have actually become children of the Most High God. I uh, uh, <clears throat> had a seminary professor that shared this story one time about this concept of Abba. Uh, he was at a playground in, um, in Jerusalem, and it was near the end of the day, and a mom was there and letting her two kids play on the playground. And dad had just gotten off work, and he came around the corner and was approaching the playground, and the kids saw him and started running to him and said, Abba, Abba, Abba. He said that just hit him. That God has put his spirit in those who have trusted in Christ to be able to run to him. Abba, Abba. So this morning, I want to confront our cynicism which is mine, or our discouragement, or maybe even our indifference to prayer, because anything or everything that we ask is, is actually heard by God. We are invited, encouraged, demanded to ask and to know that it is heard by God. But also, I don't want to shame us into praying more, because that only serves to continue to confuse our understanding of who God actually is. And again, will likely get us to pray for the approval of man. Jesus paints a really beautiful and compelling vision here. Ask, seek, knock, because God is good. And he delights to give good gifts to his children. 
And this changes the way we see God and the way that we see his answers to prayer. All right, here's your practice for this week. Um, it's Thanksgiving week. It could be crazy. It could be lonely. I don't know. I want you to carry on this week a constant conversation with God. I want you to not worry about the format. I don't want you to not worry as much. If you, if you have stuff memorized, awesome. Bring a psalm into it. Pray scripted at times. But also just in the car, in the morning when you wake up, when you lay your head against the pillow, when your team is about to blow it in the fourth quarter and, and then somehow pull it out of nowhere. Have a conversation with God. Notice beauty and be like, God, that's amazing. I saw pictures of the sunrise this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Be in awe of that. Tell him thank you or how amazing it is. Notice a hurt or a wound in you and ask Jesus if he would just come and deal with it. If there's something that's not going well, even something as, as minute as traffic, and be able to say, God, this really frustrates me. Any conversation that you can have with another human being, have it with God. Our good and loving Father who delights to hear his children and to be in the presence of his children. All right? Let's pray. God, first and foremost, you are good. So anything that we ask, the pressure is not on us to fit the right mold. You are good, and you as a father will shape us, guide us, discipline us, teach us, grow us, all those things. But it's not contingent on us getting it right for you to be a good father. You're a good father because you're a good father. So I pray that that gives us confidence when we're discouraged, that it gives us hope against maybe cynicism, that it corrects our views when we're tempted to wonder if you care, that we can actually come to you and ask, God, do you even care? And to hear from our good and loving Father, come here. Have a seat. I want you to know how deeply I care. And I know it's hard to understand that you don't always get what you want because you don't see the fullness of time. I do, I love you, I care for you, I hear you because I am your good and loving Father. Thank you, Jesus, for revealing this to us because if we're left to our default mode, this is not what we see. So this week, encourage us, remind us often, tomorrow morning that you're there Wednesday afternoon rush hour or travel, anybody having to drive down Highway 44, that you are present and good and real and that you care. When we're gathered with family, some of whom we would love to see and some of whom we would rather not, to remind us that you are good and loving Father and that you care and that any time we can come to you and ask 
seek and knock. Make yourself known this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.